If you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting in Isaiah 42. Through our Clearwater series in Isaiah, we've begun to skim the surface of this great Old Testament prophet. As we moved into the second half of Isaiah, starting in Isaiah 40, and especially in our text today, Isaiah's focus shifts to how God will shepherd a broken people. The nation of Israel had failed to live up to their calling as God's witnesses. And despite generations of warnings from God throughout the prophets, generations of warnings from the prophets, the nation of Israel was in a prolonged exile and undergoing a period of discipline from God. But discipline and exile is not the end of Israel's story. God does not give up on Israel, and he assures them that they will be redeemed by God and return from exile to the promised land. This is really exceedingly relevant for us today. See, sometimes we fail just like Israel. We fail to live up to our calling as God's witnesses. And God disciplines us to get us back on track with our relationship with God. He disciplines us because we're precious to him and deeply loved. That means he will not leave us as we are. He's committed to our sanctification. And though we will never be perfect, God will not hesitate to act for our betterment. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're in Isaiah 42, starting in verse 18. I'm going to read the first section. It says, Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is so blind as he that is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to make the law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and despoiled. All of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons. They become a prey with none to deliver them and a spoil with none to say, give them back. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen hereafter? Who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and in whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose law they did not obey? So he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle, and it set him aflame all around. Yet he did not recognize it, and it burned him, but he paid no attention. In our first section, we see Isaiah highlighting Israel's great need. And you notice right from the start that Isaiah is saying that the nation of Israel was God's witnesses and his servants. That's a high calling to be God's witnesses and his servants. Today, we're going to call them his witnesses and Isaiah will call them his witnesses. But he says something about the quality of their service. He says they're blind servants and deaf messengers, blind and deaf. What this highlights, what Isaiah is trying to say is that the people of Israel have been spiritually untransformed. They've been unchanged by the things God has said and done. And you see that highlighted in verse 20. Let me highlight that again by reading it aloud. It says, you have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but no one hears. Israel has ignored or forgotten many things. Now, what are the many things that God has done for Israel? Think about them. The first thing that should come to mind for you tonight and maybe for the people of Israel, the first thing that comes to mind is the exodus from Egypt. That's the thing that God has done. 
right? He delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery after 400 years, parted the Red Sea, delivered the people through the desert for 40 years. That's what God had done. He'd given them the law. He'd spoken through them. But Isaiah says they've seen many things. Their ears are open, but they miss the point. Israel had ignored God's word. And because they'd ignored God's word, they've continued in disobedience. And that disobedience had led to suffering and loss. Really, this is a period of discipline that God was under that God was taking the people of Israel through. It's a period of discipline. Specifically in this section in Isaiah, he's referencing the the exile in Babylon. That's that 70 years of discipline. Because of their Israel's continued disobedience, this is the result. And it's tragic. Verse 22 says, But this is a people plundered and despoiled, trapped in caves, hidden in prisons. Pray with none to deliver them. Spoil with none to say, give them back. Imagine if you're the member of the nation of Israel and you're thinking, what can we do? Has God abandoned us? Has he forgotten us forever? Are we going to be living in exile for the rest of our days? Would we ever be able to reconnect with God? Would we be able to have our festivals again and bring sacrifices to the temple and experience God's pleasure? Those must be questions swirling through their mind. And in a period of discipline, that must be a question that needs to be addressed. And what needs to be addressed is a long, hard look in the mirror for the nation of Israel. And that's what Isaiah does here in these last few verses. I want to highlight verse 24. It says, who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and in whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose law they did not obey? Israel had continued in sin against the Lord and were unwilling to walk in his ways. How tragic that they'd received God's word. They've seen him act time and time again. God has delivered them and provided for them, but they're blind and deaf. They saw many things, but they did not observe them. And they continued instead in sin. Isaiah's Israel's exile is God's discipline for their continued disobedience to God and his word. Israel had been called to be witnesses, servants, messengers of God to the things that he's done and to the things that he said. They failed and they entered a period of exile for 70 years. You and I have a high calling as well, just like the people of Israel. We're also God's witnesses. We're witnesses to the words that God has said in the scriptures. We're witnesses to the things that he's done in our life. Each of us can testify to the things that God has done. And we're witnesses to that, to the world. To the world. And this is a hard question, but it needs to, be, it needs to be asked. Do people see a good picture of God in your life? When people see your life, when they see you, do they see a picture of God? That's a hard question for me to answer. But it's a question all of us have to answer. We have to stand and look in the metaphorical mirror and answer that question from time to time. To step back and say, is my life reflecting Jesus's life? It wasn't for the nation of Israel and they entered God's discipline. They would be disciplined for 70 years. God will act to correct us when we do not reflect his life in the world. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines us. He doesn't 
but he disciplines us because he loves us. God disciplines us because he loves us and he will act because we cannot stay as we are. We need to change. We need to reflect him more and more in our life. That process is called sanctification. That's the $2 word, sanctification, where God is making us into a new person to better reflect his life and he uses discipline to accomplish that. And that's what's happening to the people of Israel here in this passage. But God does not leave us there, and that period is not forever. Continuing in our passage in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7, he says, But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other people in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Israel has a great need and God is going to meet their need. I love the first two verses in 43 in the NASB Bible. And it says, but now, not later, not continuing on and on or sometime in the future, God is saying, but now I'm going to act. Right now, when you submit yourself to me, when you confess your sin, when you repent, at that moment, God is going to meet us at our moment of need. Not in the future. He does not delay. He does not fail to meet us at our time of need. But now, thus says the Lord. Praise God. I love that Isaiah says that God is our creator and our former. He's the one who created us. He's the one who formed us. When I think about forming, I think about the story in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18, where God takes the prophet Jeremiah into the potter's house. And Jeremiah watches a potter form a vessel of clay. And he hears the words of God. And he says, can't I be to you like the potter molding the clay? God wants to mold and shape our life. God's going to do that. God's going to do that. He's our creator and our former. He's also, first and foremost, our redeemer. Isaiah uses the word uh, for redeem 13 times in the book of Isaiah, all in the second half from chapter 40 to 66, the second half of Isaiah. And the first time is here in verse 43. And the idea of a redeemer is of a kinsman redeemer. If you're familiar with the story of Ruth, that's a great four chapter little story about a kinsman redeemer and what that person does. And here's God saying, I will be your kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is someone who pays our debts and restores us. That's, a, that's as God speaking to us. That he's going to pay our debts and restore us. He's going to restore me. He's going to restore you. A kinsman redeemer is someone who treats us like we're his family. 
That's what a kinsman redeemer is. God is saying that he will bear all of the costs to redeem us and to restore us. That's God speaking to you today. That he will bear all of the cost to redeem us. And we'll get into that in a moment. Literally, the idea here is that God is saying to the people of Israel, I'm going to redeem you from your exile. Your exile is going to end. You will not be remaining in Babylon forever. Your discipline will not last forever. I'm going to bring you home. Why does God redeem Israel? Why does he say, I'm going to redeem them? There's three reasons that Isaiah brings forward, and I want to highlight them. The first is that it's God's character. God redeems us because it's his character. Look at verse 3. It says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's in his names. My Bible capitalizes L-O-R-D. That's the Hebrew name Yahweh. And when you see that in the Bible, your mind should go back to Exodus. Lots of references to Exodus today. (laughs) It should go back to the burning bush and Moses before God as the bush that's not being consumed. And God's speaking to Moses to commission him, to send him out, to begin the redemption for the people of Israel. And Moses asks God, who should I say called you out of Egypt? And he says, say that my name is I am that I am. And literally that idea means that all of God That's what he's going to be to us. All of his attributes, all of his characteristics, all of his love, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his grace and mercy. He's going to be that for you and me. That's what that means. All that God is, he's going to be that for me. That's in his name. And this is God saying in Isaiah that he's going to be our redeemer. That's who he is. God wants to redeem us. He's our Lord. He's our God. He's maintained our relationship as our God. He's maintained his holiness and his justice and his love. God is a redeeming God. This is exactly part of his character. God is the only redeemer. He's our great redeemer. And we get to be his witnesses to the world. God is our great redeemer. And we are his witnesses. The second reason why God redeems Israel, why he redeems us. It's in verse four. He says, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. Do you know that you're precious to God? If there's a lie or a thought in your heart or in your mind that you're not precious to God or that you're not loved, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You are loved by God greatly. Loved and you are precious to him. Any other thought? We all have them from time to time, right? That God doesn't like us. God doesn't love us. It happens. But it's a lie. Identify it in your mind and cast it aside. We are precious to him and greatly loved. He says he would give others in our place. Again, a reference to Egypt. That God gave them in Israel's place. God's saying that I'm going to also return you from exile, Israel. I'm going to return you from Babylon. This also foreshadows Jesus giving his life in our place. Jesus paying the price on the cross, shedding his blood, dying and being rose again so that we can be reconciled to God. He does that because we're precious to him and because he loves us. God will redeem us from our sins and he will return us to, from exile into a relationship with God. 
God redeems us. He redeems Israel because it's his character, because we're precious to him, and it's God's track record. That's the third thing. I like to say that God's in the redemption business, right? This is what he does. Time and time again in the scripture, God is redeeming people. He's restoring lives. This is what he does. He will not let sin and death win. He will win. And he's going to redeem us. Literally, there's a past, present, and future component through these, through these final verses here. Verses 4 through 7. Right? The past. God saving Israel from the people, from the, their bondage in Egypt. Present. God is going to redeem the people of Israel from their exile in Babylon. And he's going to restore them to the land. You can read about it. It's Ezra and Nehemiah. People returning from bondage in Babylon and returning. Ezra is a, the, the, book, the book of Ezra is about rediscovering the law and rediscovering a passion for God. That's what Ezra and Nehemiah are about. You can read about it in the Bible. God has done it in the past. He's done it in the present and he's done it in the future. Verse seven, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. All of us, when we turn to God, when we repent of our sins, he meets us at that moment. And he considers us his family. He pays our debts so that we can be reconciled to God. We know how Israel's story continues, right? We've already talked about it. Israel redeems the people of Israel from their exile because he did not give up on them. Their period of discipline, their period of exile would not be forever. Israel was precious to God and deeply loved. So are we. We're precious to him and deeply loved. As a Christian, we're God's children and he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. We can end our spiritual exile. We can end our separation from God and be reconciled right now, right in your home. You can be reconciled to God right now if you turn to him and say, help, please. I confess my sin. I confess my need for you, God. Meet me at that moment. And God will meet you right now. Jesus says in John 15, greater love has none other than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. Jesus calls us his family and his friends. Jesus gave himself and paid our debt so that we can be redeemed so that we could live lives as his witnesses to his saving power. Even if you're under a period of discipline right now from God, know that it's only for a time. It's only for a short time. Probably not 70 years, but it's only for a time. It even has a purpose. The purpose of that discipline that you're going through right now is to restore you spiritually. Eventually, like Israel was restored, you will also be restored. You'll be restored so that you'll have another chance to live out your purpose as God's witness. Remember, we're called to be his witnesses. God's the great redeemer and we're his witness. I hope that makes your heart soft to what God is doing, even though discipline is hard. No joke, it's hard. But God disciplines us because he loves us. And it's never forever. Our last section is verses 8 through 13. Let me read them. It says, bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together in order 
that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified. Let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there is no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? This is a courtroom scene. Isaiah loves courtroom scenes. That's how the book of Isaiah starts, with a a metaphorical courtroom scene. That's what this is right here. Verse 8 is bringing in the members into the courtroom. The court is assembled. What's the first thing that God calls? God calls his blind and deaf witnesses into the courtroom. But they're not the only ones there. Verse 9 says, all the nations have gathered together in order that the people may be assembled. All of this metaphysical, metaphysical court, metaphysical, metaphorical courtroom, the blind and deaf witnesses are there. The Gentile world is there. And the issue at hand is at verse 9, or verse 9 in the third verse, the third section here. It says, the voice of the judge, who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? What's the former things in reference to? Again, if you're the nation of Israel, you're thinking of the Exodus. Who can do the things that God has done? God is putting himself on trial and saying, who can redeem like I can redeem? Who can do it? God wants to settle all debate about his power and desire to redeem. Remember earlier I said God is in the redemption business and he does not broke any competition to that redemption. There's not, because he knows, and we struggle to know from time to time, that we cannot seek redemption anywhere else. Nothing else we run to in our lives can redeem us. Only God can. And that's here in this courtroom. God wants to settle all debate. Who among them can declare this, can declare the former things? Who can declare that God has done redemption in the past, that he's going to do it, and that he's going to do it again in the future? No one can redeem like our God. Witnesses are called in verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. God wants you to be his witness. He wants you to be his witness to the world so that you can know who God is and so that you can communicate it to those that are in your life. You to know that you are being redeemed by God, that he has redeemed us, and that you can tell others that God is the one who redeems. In order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. At the end of verse 10, this is the claim. This is the claim in the courtroom. It says, and before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. Nobody else can do what God has done. He's the redeeming God. There's no other thing that we can create that can redeem like God can. No other God, lowercase g, no other idol, 
right? No other pagan God from Gentile nations can redeem like God can. He says, there's no savior besides me. There's no one, there's nothing that can save. No person, no thing that can save like God can. Everything is hollow except for that. And so these witnesses come and they declare, this is what God has done. He has redeemed. He's redeemed the people in Exodus. He's going to redeem them from their exile. And they're going to be his witnesses in the future. There in verse 12, it is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. God said, I have declared what I'm going to do. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to use you to tell other people about it. God has declared, he's saved, and he's proclaimed. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to redeem you. Literally, I'm doing it right now. And I'm going to use you to proclaim that to the world. That's the courtroom scene. That the broken people, people who are blind and deaf, imperfect, can be God's witnesses to the world. God doesn't take any competition for redemption. That's a warning for us that we shouldn't turn to other ways to look for that redemption. But only God can redeem. You and I are witnesses to God's redeeming power. And he's the only and only he has the power to redeem us from sin and death. Are you only trusting in God to be your redemption? The only one to redeem us from sin and death? There's no other gods or something that we can make into a God. We were so good at that, right? Here in the West, we don't have gods that we keep in our homes like they do in the Eastern part of the world, right? But we make other things into gods, lowercase g, G-O-D-S, that we seek our redemption from. We seek it in our careers or in our family, in our status of society, or in our achievements, the things that we've done in our life, and we look to be redeemed by those things. Just like the idols in the Old Testament, those things are hollow. They cannot save us. Nothing can free us from our spiritual exile. Nothing can free us from our sin and death except the redeeming power of God. God will use us as his witnesses in the world, just like he used Israel. God's redeemed us and he wants to use us to proclaim that to the world. Just like Israel, we have that same purpose today. We have the purpose to be his witnesses. In the New Testament, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of God, or on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, that work of being a witness is not limited to pastors or people who have gone to seminary and those things. It's for everyone. All of us have a story of God redeeming us. None of the stories are the same. God has redeemed each and every one of us, and we all have the privilege of being his witnesses. How do you think you can be a witness to God's redeeming love this week? Think about the people that are in your life, the people that you see. Granted, right, that's a lot smaller these days, but we still interact with people. We've got these pocket computers that we talk to people all day. How can we communicate to them that God loves them, that God wants to redeem them, 
That he wants to save them from sin and death and give them access to his life. We're his witnesses. An easy way to do that is to share your testimony with somebody. Share something that God has done with you over the past month, the past week. How God has helped you. These are hard times for everyone. If we're leaning on God, he's going to meet us at that moment. And we can share that story. We have ample stories that we can share with other people. And God wants us to be his mouthpiece in the world. God wants to use us to tell the world what he's done and what he's said. That's our privilege as children of God. Some final thoughts. There's a warning, there's an invitation, and there's a challenge. First, the warning. And the warning is that there's a real danger of spiritual blindness. Do not be blind and deaf to the character of God or his word or the work that he's doing in our world and in our life. To use other language from the scriptures, don't have a hard heart towards God. Hebrews 3 quotes the Old Testament in Hebrews 3, but it's, this, it's the same verse. It says, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Don't have a hard heart towards God but a soft heart that wants to respond to him and to the things that he's doing. Immerse yourself in his word so that you know what it says, so that when people ask you, you can talk to them about it. Don't be spiritually blind. And God has given us the means to have a soft heart towards him. We can have a soft heart towards God. That's what God has done in Jesus. Jeremiah 31 talks about it. Specifically, Jeremiah says, They will not teach again each man his neighbor or each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. God has taken away our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh that we can respond to God. That when we come to God with a broken spirit and contrite heart, like Psalm 51 says, God meets us at that moment. Be aware of spiritual blindness, but know that you can get out. You you don't have to be blind forever. Confess your sin, approach God with a contrite spirit and a broken heart and ask for help and he will meet us there. He will remove the blindness from our eyes. The invitation is this. There is nobody that God is not willing and completely able to, to save. God is in the redemption business. He wants to redeem. He does not give up on us because we're precious to him. Do you know that you're precious to God? I'll ask again. Do you know that you're precious to God and that you're loved by him? Again, the lie in your heart and in your mind is that God does not love you, that he does not care. That goes back to the Garden of Eden. He loves you and he cares for you. God does not give up on Israel. He will not give up on us. Do you know God like that? Do you want to know the Lord and meet his unfailing love for us? Talk to us. Reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody that you know knows the Lord. And they'll talk to you about him. They'll share their story of God's love, God's redeeming power in their life. Don't pass up this opportunity. Have a soft heart to God, because he's speaking. He's constantly speaking, constantly reaching out to redeem us. 
And when we turn to him, he meets us there right at that moment. Lastly, the challenge, quickly. God will use imperfect witnesses. Are you willing to be his witness? Are you willing to tell the world about what God has done in your life? Think about that this week. Think about who you can reach out to to share your story about what God has done. We all have somebody in our life that we can share that story with. I'm thinking of somebody right now. Think about who I could share God's love with this week. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful for your great love for us. You want to redeem us from sin and death. And God, when we humble ourselves, you meet us there in that moment and you give us your life. God, thank you for using imperfect people. Thank you for not leaving us as we are. Thank you for challenging us to continue to look to you for our life every day. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your great redeeming power in our life. In your name, amen.